Hi, welcome back to the Deep Podcast. I'm here with my dad, uh, Mark Williams. My name is Daniel Williams, and as always, Dad, thanks for doing this with me. Thank you for doing it with me, and uh, an extra thank you for tonight because this is going to be an interesting episode. Yeah, this is um, we're going to mark today as the first freeform episode that we are doing, and we say freeform, but we do have a lot of prior research on this. We were waiting to do this episode. Um, but we don't have a prompt written for this episode, really. We don't have an outline. And we're just going to kind of dig into it because we thought today had to be done the way it, it had to be done this way. Because uh, if we don't do it this way, we are not going to be as raw. We want to give you as raw of a, of a biblical message as possible today because of what's been going on. Um, we want to specifically discuss today the importance of what happened this week. And if you don't know what happened this week, the Chauvin trial happened. The There's a few things that happened after that we'll be discussing. And we want to talk about some really difficult subjects. And we felt like if we did this in a structured way, we we're going to be limiting the way we could uh, talk about this with you guys. So... Dad, this is this is going to be an interesting episode for us with this being our first one. Yes, yes, like this, and and I, there, these are conversations. I I think we we want to kind of lay the groundwork appropriately here, and um, kind of we've we've talked about this a little bit before, but I think we need to be really specific about a couple things. First, our backgrounds. Um, uh, I'm a, you know a, a, had my master's in theological studies. I you know spent six years as a pastor. Uh, I uh, have uh, studied the Bible from a perspective of love and a perspective of a profession for most of my life. Um, and this is, for me, all of these discussions come from a desire to have a biblical worldview, which I taught my children and encourage them to apply it in other areas of their life. And because it extends to every area of their life, just like it extends to me, even though I'm not actively pastoring right now, that the biblical worldview must extend into everything I do. That's how it works. Um, and Daniel, you are pursuing something very different, but that directly relates to this. Yeah. Um, I am a political science student. I have mentioned this before, uh, minor in psychology and this uh, I know I'm not the most qualified person to talk about this, um, but I hope to bring a kind of conversation for youth specifically and how to handle this co uh, conversation as a Christian, because this is not an easy conversation to have. And in order to do so, you need a lot of context. Um, <laughs> I think my poli-sci, uh, my work in the political science degree at my school has helped prepare me for that because it is a Christian school and it's going to be a great opportunity for both of us to share our, how the Christian worldview affects our perspective on these issues that we're going to discuss today. And I, I wish to mention as well, and I have you mentioned too, what your long-term plan is for career, because I think it directly relates to this as well. Yeah. That's that you want to pursue law. Yes, I do want to pursue law. And I, the reason I want to do that, uh, I'm going to just start digging in right away. Um, <laughs> The reason I want to do that is because as a Christian, we have, we respect the things, uh, we, we, we're told to respect the law, right? Yes. In 
Uh, I'll just bring it up right away. Romans 13, 1 through 2. Uh, respect the law is is the is the extreme gist of it. Um, but and we understand that there's unjust laws and and we we can discuss things like that. And that's not like you have to follow every unjust moment of your life. But at the same time, it is our job as Christians to respect the law. And so today, um, as we discuss, uh, we're going to probably start with the Chauvin trial because it's in the past and we're going to discuss some things that are happening now and in the future a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about we start with prayer? Because I think we both right. need it as we get right. into this. Yeah, um, well, let's start with prayer first. <laughs> yes. Father, um, oh, what an interesting time in the history of the country in which we live. Um history of our world um we are we face countless battles around us with the nature of what justice is and how it is to be pursued and we want to pursue it on the basis of the principles found in your word not what anyone outside that says we want to pe be people that come with a biblical worldview to problems like this and challenges like what we're facing in our country right now as Daniel and I talk about this tonight and try to share uh, what you've laid on our hearts, uh, really in both cases over a lot of our lives, um, that we would do so in a fashion that honors you and honors your word and puts it first and not just our own opinions. Um, may you be glorified in what we say and may we be clear about what we're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Daniel. Um, the future lawyer son of mine. How was your week? Um, this has been an interesting week, and we're gonna. I'm gonna take this opportunity to kind of highlight how me and my wife have handled things. Um, my wife is a first off is a cop's daughter. Um, I won't give any more information than that. Um, so it was a really emotional day for her yesterday. Um. As someone who's going into law, yesterday was a really interesting discussion because as I'm comforting my wife with the situation, I also have to recognize my own respect for the law, you know? And even if I believe um, that this was a very difficult trial for the jury, um, especially with the public's perspective being so on this trial, um, I, I still have to look at it. Hopefully my wife doesn't come running out when I say this. Um, as a man who's convicted by a jury of his peers on three charges of first, uh, second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter, if it is by a jury of his peers and it does not, and an appeal does not fix the situation, the law has spoken. Yeah. And Christians, as, as Christians, we are called to respond that way. And I know that's really difficult to think about, and I know I'm starting off heavy with that statement. Um, we are called to, in response to respect the justice system. Let's get specific on that because one of the things that uh, we talked about in doing this free form, how we want to make sure we want to come out of scripture with what we do. That's the whole point of our podcast. 
Um, and Daniel referenced this already, but I want to read it really fast uh, in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. And I'm reading it from the New Living. Um, and this is a very straightforward statement by Paul, and it's part of the application of what he's talked about the entire book of Romans. He has all this this theory, this philosophy in the first uh, 11 chapters, 12 chapters, and he gets to 13, and he starts to, well, 12 starts to speak practically, and then 13 is very practical. And this is the beginning of it. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but to keep a clear conscience. Oh, that was down uh, Romans 13, 1 through 5. Now there's Right there, it's, it's, it's pretty simple that I think the implication, there's multiple little pieces from that, is that um, God institutes justice. God sets up laws and ordains who's in power. Um, that's not always an easy thing to swallow. Um, I, I think that we as Americans, we have a very polarized political system right now. And whichever side of the aisle you fall on, you either just went through four years of, of great joy or great sorrow. And with the last uh, four months have been a great joy or a great sorrow for you. Um, depending what happened. There's very little in the middle. Um, but that's not what this passage says. This passage says um, God instituted it. They're there for a reason. Um, respect the authority. That's not always easy, is it, Daniel? No. Um, and the the biggest thing, because this verse gives you a struggle. Because we've had some governments in our world that have done some awful, awful, awful things. Yes. And the reason for those government failures is sin. Straight. Yes. Nothing else. It is the sin of the people. It is the sin of of the leaders it is the sin of of the of our hearts that puts those people in power when they shouldn't be and but it is almost never ever ever the law itself's fault by by the law you mean the law is the entity you right, right. the people are designing and making the laws right yeah yes um so let's let's take this the hardest case to this and um, and kind of balance this out because I want to be really clear too with how we approach a couple things. Um, first off, um, in saying that we respect authority, we are not saying respect authority when it clearly deviates from God's word. Yes. Uh, for instance, um, I would not say it's okay to. Uh, to help the Nazis put Jews in gas chambers in the Holocaust, right? That Trump. is against God's word. 
Um, I would say that things that tell us, well, I I, want to be careful. Um, We're commanded first to obey God. And if when our physical human leaders deviate from God's word, we obey God first. Correct. So that's, that's, to me, that's the only caveat here to this, right? Like we're not going and saying, um, I'll, I would, I grew up, um, kind of a really interesting situation where, uh, you know, I, I was born in the South, uh, shortly after civil rights and Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff go away. And, um, uh, in, uh, an area of the country where some of the major civil rights events took place. Um, as soon as I was six months old, my parents, uh, went to the mission field as missionaries. And I grew up in a situation where I was the minority. Um, uh, I remember, uh, this is an embarrassing story, but I'm going to tell anyway, cause I think it, it helps. I remember moving, uh, not going back to visit, um, I want to say I was five and we went back or no, it was seven. And we went back to visit, um, to report to the churches that sponsored us, how things were going in our mission work and, um, walking into a grocery store in Winston-Salem, North Carolina and seeing the first black man I'd ever saw in person and pointing at him and going, mama, that guy looks really, literally, I had never seen one before. Uh, we worked with Native American Indians in Canada and Montana, so it wasn't something where I, I remember doing that as a kid. And it wasn't anything with any level of racial intent at all. I just, I just hadn't seen a guy with black skin before. Um, and at the same time, I was used to being the minority. And then we grew up, we were on the mission field uh, professionally until I was 10. And then when I was 12, we moved back to the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area where I spent most of junior high, high school, and college. I had classmates in junior high who openly talked about being Klan initiates. At the same time, we were living in an apartment complex where, again, we were the minority. There were in something like uh, 280-some apartments in in all of the buildings that were there. There were like three or four white families everybody else was were people of color um and so i've got this on one hand in the in the school i was attending and i've got this in my neighborhood in the other hand where i was attending i i saw the good the bad the ugly of all of that and i would look at it and say as a christian from the legal perspective we should have been fighting for civil rights in the 60s And one of the challenges that came from that era, biblically, is that so much of both the anti-civil rights and the pro-civil rights came directly from the church. Yeah. And so we're left now with um, Christians who struggle with finding their voice in these things because the whole debate over our justice system and what's good about it and what's bad about it, it it all hinges on things where the church as a whole, uh, the American church, big C, meaning the church as a whole, not any individual local church, uh, because I can't comment on that much, um, dropped the ball in that area. I mean, it was, 
you know, uh, Christians in the South keeping Jim Crow and segregation up. And it was Christians in the South fighting against it. And uh, you, we, we failed to go back and build a biblical view of justice that is absolutely necessary. And it begins with, Daniel, what you said, God ordains a justice system. Now, does that mean it's perfect? No. No, not in any way. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of put this in perspective because it, it's not just at a person-to-person level that this is this argument it takes place. Um, and I'm going to actually use the Jim Crow era as, a, and as an example of this. Um, the Brown versus Board of Education ruling, I recently did a paper on Warren. Um, and the respect that I have for Warren as a person now is immense. The way he wrote Brown versus Board of Education was both a friend to the law and a friend to civil rights. Um, when he was writing the ruling, um, it, it was clear to the courts they had a 7-2 pretty clear off the back. But Warren wanted a 9-0. Um, so he worded Brown versus Board of Education, the the case everybody knows, the desegregation case. He wrote it so that it was a friend to the law for the last two justices that were afraid, that couldn't support segregation, but were afraid because they couldn't find a way to do it legally. And Warren gave it to them. Warren let, brought them a way to rule on Brown versus Board of Education with the law. That they recognized, hey, this is this is what the this is the law. This is how it should be. This is uh, and this is how we've ruled before, right? We have always put into place that we respect this kind of thing. We respect uh, in the Fourteenth Amendment. We have to respect it. That's how we do it. That's how it's written into into our our constitution. We have to do it that way. That is the law, right? And just the way he wrote it made me cry when I was reading this bi- biography because it, it it displays the court as this weight removed from their, their, their hearts. And one of the, one of the justices cries on the bench as he makes eye contact with one of the reporters because it was one of the, one of the two justices that were, uh, hadn't supported it prior. And he makes eye contact with the reporters, and he's crying because he he did it. He he got his uh, anti segregation views out in a way that respected the law. And as Christians, our respect for the law has to be God, and then the law. And we must respect. Everything when when it comes to the law, we respect it unless it's against God. So Daniel, that's um, that's a one of the more challenging examples. But let's let's talk a little bit. Um, oh, I'm 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 trying not to to guide this discussion. I want us to, as you noted, freeform as much as right. we can. Um. 
one of the one of the challenges I think to and you and I have talked about this a lot uh, growing up because you've really been on this track since high school about you know per, pursuing law as a career, and so you and I in, in having these biblical worldview discussions we've talked a long time. I think one of the things that we need to recognize in having this discussion is to talk about the limitations of the law. Right. Um, as you noted, the law as we know it is ultimately written by sinful people. It's designed off of the law of God. Um, one of the things I would say uh, about um, uh, the American legal system is it has its flaws, but so does every legal system. And the, the simplest way to look at that is it has people in it, and anytime you involve people, you involve sin, and where you have sin, you have error. Right. Um. So this is this is tough because you're right. We we absolutely must respect the law. How do we deal with sin in the system? It's a tough question. Um, and I think the bio. Uh, the, this is almost a perfect segue. It almost feels like where we do have an outline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I cannot believe you set it up this way with your statement. Um, ah, <laughs> oh, goodness. I was trying um, not to do that too much. Right, right. Um, the I, I, I'm going to start this way. I am a big fan of the grand jury. Okay. Um, and I, I've talked to my class about this. And um, if, if you don't know what a grand jury is, states have the right to put 6 to 12 people on a standard jury. Right? Um, and that's, that's the usual number. For the Chauvin trial, it was 12. Um, and all of them agreed unanimously to convict Chauvin. Um, in law, a grand jury is 24 plus. It can be a little lower. It can be a little higher. Um, as long as it's high, if it's higher than 20, I'm pretty sure it's a grand jury. Um, I believe the more people that are on a jury, the, the less partial the jury is, and there's our, our keyword less partial a jury is and therefore more uh, justice is more likely to be found in the court system. So partiality, partiality, less partial a jury is. Is that a key idea in scripture when we talk about justice? You partiality? sound like you're doing this off of a guide. I, I know, I know. Um, it, it well to be fair we we don't while we don't have a guide we have some key principles we want to make sure we talk about right. this is this is right at the top of the list it's where we have to go right this is um uh, I'm gonna bring up one of our favorite podcasts uh one of our favorite podcasts uh, the just thinking podcast um did an entire episode on partiality pretty much recently yeah it was good <laughs> and how many there are twenty different books in the Bible that mention impartiality in the justice system if you want to look for one thing besides jesus that is repeated on a pretty consistent basis throughout the entire bible it is to be impartial in the justice system that you have it's all over the place um i'm going to mention some some highlights it's several times in deuteronomy job psalms leviticus 
uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Acts, Romans, James, Jude, First uh, Timothy, just to kind of give a short rundown. Constantly mentioned about keeping partial keeping um, partiality out of our judgment. So let's talk, what is partiality from a legal perspective? Okay. Um, my, my, my favorite example of this um, is actually a story I heard from my professor. Um, he uh, was in DC for a long time. He has a lot of, uh, that's where he got his PhD. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I might be like a little wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was DC. And he, uh, the point is, he has his PhD in political science, and he served on a lot of juries because every it's court central in DC. Uh, if you don't serve on a on a court once once while you're in DC, you're it's incredible, incredibly unlikely. Lawyers are constantly on juries because of how like many lawyers are in DC, and it's really insane to think about. Um, but he was, he was in, uh, there was, there was a time that he heard a story. I'm not sure if it was, it was directly him or not. I don't remember, but the point is there was somebody who stopped, uh, who raised his hand as a jury a juror and said, judge, I can't be an impartial person for this case. I don't trust the cops. Now that, that was his way of getting out of jury duty. And it's not a, like that was uh, that's gen- genuine impartiality. Uh, like, if you can't trust the person who's talking to you, you're partial, right? You're partial against somebody in the case. If you're partial against the defendant, you're partial against the prosecution. You cannot take part on the case at all. That applies, incidentally, from a legal perspective, the judges and other things as well. Conflict of interest situations right. where a situation where positively or negatively you might be influenced by those you know for instance if you were a judge someday and uh i come before you you'd have to recuse the case because i'm your dad right that's not okay because it shows partiality and we want to this is a key principle in scripture it is i would say probably the key principle to human justice in the bible is you can't have partiality right um it's it's strange that that we mentioned something like that and that it's that clear um, to call it the key principle, but it's, it's certainly mentioned enough. I mean, uh, besides the fact of having one and that we need to respect it, it's all over the place. And I'm, I'm going to read um, a passage uh, that specifically f- speaks to how uh, the church is to judge, uh, but it establishes a principle that our American legal system is built on. Um, this is from First Timothy 5, uh, verse 19. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey those instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. So be careful how you judge, but let me tell you, the most important thing to this in front of God, all of his angels, Jesus, don't show partiality. Don't play favorites. Is what that passage says. Um, this is an interesting thing with the Chauvin trial. Um, 
because there's some real challenges with how this is handled in um, in our system, uh, in our within our politics, um, and one of the things that will definitely play a role in the future. We don't really know what the result of this trial is going to be because it will be appealed because some very powerful political figures in our government basically made it appealable by their actions. Um, so uh, the Congresswoman from California, Maxine Waters um, actually flew up to DC to Minnesota and spoke to protesters uh, the Sunday before the verdict was read on Monday and the verdict was read on Tuesday. Yes. She spoke on Sunday. Um, Oh, the verdict was read Tuesday. You're right. I'm sorry. So she spoke on Sunday and in that statement, she basically said, if we don't get the verdict we want, we need to get more confrontational um, and uh, be in the streets more, be more confrontational. So in other words, if we don't get what we want, then we need to get mad about it and keep burning our town. I guess would be the way to the way to put it because that's basically what they did when the initial events happened. Um, that's partiality within the legal system. Um, our president on Monday while he didn't use the same kind of terms and call for confrontation, called for the right result. Um, That's partiality in our leaders. That's dangerous. That's very dangerous. I'm going to be, I'm going to get super real here. I know that we appeal to a more conservative audience. Yeah. And I know we just ripped on two Democrats, but I want to make it extremely clear. This is inexcusable. Whoever this is it. not excusable for anybody. Yes. Um, I want to make that super. Uh, one of my big things about go, going into law is that you should not legislate from the bench. Yes. The I I actually got an opportunity to talk with. Um, I, you know, this, uh, I, I made a mistake in one of my poli sci classes. I asked a question I probably shouldn't have asked because I knew the answer. and It was a loaded question. Um, the ACLU, the Alliance Defending Freedom, the, um, the organizations that pick cases to try to get them to Supreme, the Supreme Court, to assist and aid political uh, legislation from the bench are partial in every way. And it is incredible to say, or it is, uh, this is going to be super controversial. You should not, the, the court system is not a place for partiality, and the judges and the jurors should. You should not try to influence them in any way. I know that's so hard to do because that means all eyes off of the courts, and that can be dangerous too, right? Um, because 
eyes on the government, keep the government in check. But the idea is the court system is not a place for you to make the moves in politics that you want. And the big key to that is I asked uh, a lawyer who had been to the Supreme Court, Do does your company pick cases depending on the district you think they'll win in best? And if they can't win in the district they're in, do you not take the case? I knew the answer was yes to that question. I knew that the company, the guy I was talking to, was probably guilty of it. And I still asked the question. And it was, it was a gotcha question. And he looked at me mad. I, have, I pissed off one of our guest speakers at school with that question. I felt pretty bad after I did. But the idea is the justice system is not a place for partiality. Yes. It is so difficult. And I'm going to be honest, like there was a, uh, in my sophomore year of uh, college, I tried my absolute best to be an impartial person to talk to. And I didn't, I, that meant I didn't stick up for all of my values in some places. It pissed off my wife. It pissed off my friends. It pissed off a lot of people because I was a brick. I was emotionally a brick. I was, like, it was really, really hard to do in the first place. And then I realized the year after that I was failing the Lord, one, because if there's one thing, uh, this is, if there's one thing you should be partial for, it's for the Lord. Yes. And I, I pissed so many, I just, I was empty. It's so hard to be impartial because of emotions, because of facts and feelings. I, I know that's a crazy statement. Uh, because of the world that we live in, the sin that we have. But you have to respect justice and the law. The concept of them. So, um, Scripture most often talks about this partiality issue uh, not in racial terms, largely because race is a social construct that dates to the 1800s and not past that. Any conflicts you see that you might call racial prior to that, or in fact, ethnic conflicts, meaning it wasn't skin color that was issue, but um, country of origin or ethnicity of origin. Um, so the, the more common area you saw partiality in scripture was really um, socioeconomically. Uh, money, uh, uh, rich versus poor. Um, and I want to read uh, a passage from James and talk a couple principles that um, here that I, I think are key to some of what Daniel just mentioned. So James chapter two, this is starting in verse one, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 13. And this is again from the New Living. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, Suppose someone comes in your meeting, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? 
Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you've still broken the law. So whatever you say, whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There'll be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. This is a, a very powerful passage when it comes to the sense of partiality. And I want to highlight one verse in here that I would say our American legal system is founded on and yet has, has drifted away from this. And we desperately need to recenter on this. Um, rephrase that. It was intended to be founded on this. And from its inception, it has drifted away from this. Uh, the intent was there. Uh, the law was written this way. As Daniel noted, there's, there's multiple amendments that emphasize this, and we keep having to clarify it because we keep getting it wrong. Um, yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law, and by that he's referring to the law of God. That's the starting point for how we view justice in Scripture, I think. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's 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 a powerful it's a, it's a powerful statement. Again, James phrases this in terms of rich and poor, but you can apply that to anything that you will. I'm right. The, I'm gonna, go ahead. I'm gonna I'm gonna get into this quick. Okay. Because uh, I I gave you an example before we started this podcast, and it's perfect for this spot. I said to my dad, um, this is the conversation. This is this. Uh, if you're going to have a conversation with somebody about you should hate them because of who they are as their job, for example. Yeah. Right. And the drive, uh, we should hate the police. We should uh, hate those in, uh, in an authority position. They're all evil. There's a guilty side on the other side, too. It is the same person who blames the cop's role as, as it is the person who blames the prostitute for being a prost, uh, uh, evil too. Right? right. Now let's it clarify is, that a little bit before right. you go on. Clarify what you mean by that. So my... I'll, let, I'll, I'll try to say it simply quickly. Um, the average prostitute in the United States isn't there by choice. Right. Okay. They're forced into it through human trafficking situations. They're usually uh, given drugs, addicted to them, and basically forced into the situation where they are. That's what he means when he says that, you know, it, it's the same kind of situation if you're blaming a person because this is what they're doing. That right. person probably doesn't have a choice. A cop does have a choice, but at the same time, it's a noble profession. It's something that is outlined within our legal system to help remedy the lack of law. Let me, right. 
can I, I want to give there, there's an example that, that we talked about stuff that just happened right after the thing. This is yesterday, right after the Chauvin verdict was announced. Uh, there was a story of a shooting in Columbus, Ohio. And, and this story is honestly, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Um, there's a 911 call. Uh, officer rolls up to the 911 call, gets out the, within six hours, I think of the, of this event, the Columbus, Ohio police department had published the, the body cam footage. And it's really clear. The officer rolls up. Uh, the The assailant is getting off of one girl on the ground where she had a knife at her. I guess tried to cut at her. Gets up and lunges at another. He he gets up to go at her. He tells her to stop. Tells her to stop. She doesn't stop and then swings her arm to stab the other girl. And he takes out his gun, fires, and hits her, and uh, she dies on the way to the hospital. Um, the great legal scholar in our culture, uh, LeBron James, um, then uh, today tweets out a picture of the officer with uh, the words capitalized, your next hashtag accountability at the officer because he shot the girl who happened to be black from stabbing another girl who was also black. The implication being, you can't shoot her because she's black. That's partiality. What about the life of the girl he saved from being stabbed, where it easily could have cost her her life? We can't, in any of these kinds of situations, look at uh, something like this within our within our legal system. With the off, essentially, the officer is acting as an arm of justice there in a situation where his only chance to save the other person's life is if he takes the life of the assailant, which he did. A sad situation, yes. But for Pete's sake, don't be the person like LeBron James tweeting from you know, his, his castle where he lives going, you're next... Because we're coming after you now because you shot a black girl. I don't care what the color of their skin is. That officer should defend the life of the person that she's trying to stab. She should have stopped when the officer told her to stop. She didn't. She paid for it with her life. But it's her life or the life of the victim. Partiality in our legal system is dangerous. It will result in loss of life. It will result in chaos. It will result in or an inability to do the right thing. James outlines it. It's really clear. We can't show partiality. We can't. It is this key principle that we talked about. Right. Um, that the prostitute example that I mentioned earlier, I, it's my main argument for, uh, for the, for the all cops are bad argument, yeah. ACAB, or like if, if, if all cops are bad, do you, like the, I, I know there are people who believe all prostitutes are bad. Yeah. And like that. That idea that somebody is inherently bad because of the role they took instead of the sin in their hearts, yeah, is insane. 
that somebody because of their their race is evil is wrong because it is not their race that defines if they're evil or not it's their sin yes it's, well let's let's be more specific than that the reason we create classifications like that whether it's race or job or uniform or um take your pick the reason we take classifications like that is to try to make ourselves look just and someone else look unjust. When what scripture says is we're all unjust. We've all sinned. There is no exception. We're all guilty before God. And that's the, that's the key piece here too. That's why we can't show partiality. Partiality is in essence saying this person is less guilty than this person when we're all guilty. That's exactly what the passage in James says. It's not, well, I didn't commit adultery, so I'm okay, even though I committed murder. No, if you break the law, you break the law. And we've all broken the law, period. You're all guilty, every one of us. So you can't show partiality because by showing partiality, you're saying you're good. You're good because of the color of your skin or the uniform that you wear or don't wear. It's not how it works. That's not what scripture says. The death of justice is partiality. It's true. My, the, the crazy thing that, that gets people um, constantly, it's, it's the seniority thing too, right? Um, uh, a cop in a, in, in that has been in a longer position and has proven that he's taken his role seriously uh, for a long time is raises through the ranks, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just as it should be in, in a society. If you can show you're good at your job, then advance. Go further, right? And <laughs> there's reasons people get stuck at the bottom rung. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and... Yes, people struggle. People really. <laughs> it's not to say the people that have been there twenty five years can't be evil, or don't have sin in their hearts. But it is not your place to define everybody who takes up on a badge or everyone who takes off their underwear as evil. Hmm. This is such an interesting, such an interesting discussion. Um, we're. Uh, we're in a, a major crossroads at it in our, in our society. And, and I'm, I'm fearful a little bit of where it goes, but at the same time, um, history outlines some major things for us, things that, that we know are at issue. And, and um, we talked a little bit about this kind of in, in prepping and, and some themes that we wanted to make sure we, we brought out in a, in a free form way. Um, and one of the things that really has stuck out to me in all of this is uh, we have a tendency to miss um, the errors of history when we're talking about the context we are in now. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, we hi- History is... is uh, a long and, and painful thing. And I, I believe that is a biblical 
statement. Um, I subscribe to a, a, a theological position that teaches that um, God gives man a responsibility um, in in different eras of time, God gives man a responsibility. Man subsequently fails at that responsibility, and God redeems man from that failure. I mean that this is a repetitive pattern in human history, in specific within certain ages and different responsibilities, but also inside those ages, in that as God gives man, men succeed not because of themselves, but because God accomplishes his work through sinful men and women. Um, and that in reality, uh, if you go look at the heroes of the faith, and obviously this is uh, a auditory podcast, not a video one, the heroes of the faith, I put that in air quotes, because all of them that are listed in Hebrews 11, uh, we have sin for. We have outlined sin for. Uh, uh, David, adultery and murder that we covered on one on one podcast. Uh, uh, you know, there's plenty of others in there um, that there's just this list of they sinned and God accomplished His work in them anyway. Um, and we have this tendency to miss that what we need to do is first and foremost as we're discussing any issue of justice, any issue of government, any issue of how we, of necessity, judge our neighbors. It starts with judging ourselves and acknowledging in humility our own sin. It's the place Scripture tells us to start. And we are as evil a sinner as George Floyd or Derek Chauvin. There's no difference. That is the impartiality that Scripture implies. See, uh, one of the things I know both you and I our big disagree like uh, we disagree a lot on is the church's movements towards i i almost want to say forced congregational re- uh racial reconciliation <laughs> you mean racial reconciliation yeah that's what yeah. I, I thought i said that well, you mean you mean we disagree with how churches are handling it right absolutely yeah, not that you and i disagree on it yes right um because they encourage it to be done in a way that is not based on the person's heart. Yes, absolutely. And the it, it's, it's been really interesting to me because when you listen to scholars on this, they're all super aggressive about it can't be done this way. It's not the right way to do it. But they don't tell you the right way to do it. Well, this, this, is, this is a really interesting, an interesting question when it comes to this because um, – I, we, we Daniel mentioned this already. Uh, one of the podcasts that, that he and I listen to regularly is just thinking, uh, just wonderful, godly men on there. Greatly respect them. Um, they constantly talk about these issues. 
Um, and I, you know, highly recommend them to our listeners if you haven't heard of them before. Um, just thinking.me, I think is their website. Um, but in, in their stuff, they're constantly talking about this. This is dangerous stuff that we have entire evangelical denominations talking about this racial reconciliation stuff when the answer is don't be partial for everybody, regardless of the color of your skin. Um, it's, it's, it's dangerous, right? It's, it's really interesting because I don't, I don't think the idea of people need to fix the problem is like, if you acknowledge there's a problem, fix it in your heart, right? Yes. It's, it's the same idea as if you're walking around and you see somebody who has dark skin and you judge them inherently for as a person, that is a sin. That, yes, absolutely. absolutely. Um, it is not okay to take the uh, to to change the doctrine of the Bible. Uh, to try to change the doctrine of the Bible to do that. Let me let me wrong. turn that around another way. Okay, if you say that every person who has less melanin in their skin is automatically guilty of racism because they have less melanin in their skins, that too is partiality. Everybody's guilty of this. Everybody. Everybody's no, got a bias. The Something. answer is, in the words of Martin Luther King, content of character over color of skin. Right. That's the, that's the biblical answer. Content of character over color of skin. It's, I, I, this, this is going to be a longer episode. We, we, we admitted to each other before we started. I hate that we have dropped his teachings. No, he was not like, he was, he was, he was an excellent preacher, a great, great person, to, yeah. a great orator, an excellent character for the civil rights. He was a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was. Oh my goodness! Like, he and people probably forget had little, that he probably had little actual reason to be pastoring. I would say, yes, yes. But the point is, he had he spoke the truth about the uh, about the content of character first. Absolutely, it is. I, I I hate when people go to the people who are absolutely the most violent advocates for uh, for racial activity because it's the worst way to do it. The the way the civil rights problem was solved was the sit-ins, the peaceful sit-ins, the displays of the people acting against peaceful protesters, actually peaceful protesters. Yes. It is when it is when people sat on the streets in arm and they blasted them with water cannons that the world went, man, that's wrong. It yes. is not when you threw firebombs into a police station. Yes. That happened in Washington. <laughs> yes, it did. Well, by not Washington, D.C., Washington State, by the way. Yeah, uh, I should mention while they were trying to brick up the exit, the emergency exit door on the other side. Uh, right. That's, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's not the way things are handled. That is not just. That is not the way we handle people. That is not the way we handle our own hearts. If you are letting your emotions uh, allow you to throw firebombs into a police station, you're a sinner. So are we all. Yes. And that, and that's that's the backside of all of this. So are we all? And if you doubt that, 
you're wrong. Scripture says it. The starting point is we're all sinners. Don't be partial. Don't look at someone who looks like they're more successful or has a certain color of melon in their skin and say that they're without X sin. That's a great way to get it wrong. My, um, what a, it's crazy. Can I, can I bring something up quick? Go for it. Uh, there was a, a time Donald Trump was on Jimmy Fallon. If anybody remembers <laughs> that. Yes. The, the outcry after he was on that was but for, for the main reason was because that it humanized him. It made him look human. Oh, is that a bad thing? Is is it awful to recognize our own mistakes? Is it like is it is everybody so much of a child that they can't look at something they did wrong and say they did wrong? <laughs> I know I just made a crate like I know yeah, you I, did. That's I'm, awesome though. I'm 21. <laughs> I can't like I don't have the life experience that you do or my yeah. our, uh, my grandparents do. I just are we so much of children that we can't look at the things we did wrong and say that we did them wrong. <sighs> yeah, that's exactly where we are in our country right now. I mean, that's that is, and I it's, it's on both sides of the aisle. It's not just one side; it's both sides at times. Right. Um, it, it is it is challenging because the human heart wants itself to be favored. Right. Um, another passage of scripture to run to for that, and it's not one you commonly hear quoted. Um, because it's it's tiny, and um, it only has one chapter, and it's Jude. It's the next to last book of the New Testament. Um, and I'm going to read Jude 14 to um, 21. And uh, I didn't give you a chapter because there isn't one. There's only one. So it's verses 14 through 21 of Jude. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen. The Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves and they flatter others to get what they want. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instinct because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will bring you to eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And I'll keep reading down through verse uh, 23. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. That's powerful when you think about it in terms of this piece of partiality, 
right? Um, the in all times, what causes a breakdown in society, what causes danger and chaos and evil in society are people, every person who does all the ungodly things they have done and all the insults they've spoken against them, they're grumblers and complainers living only to satisfy their desires. If that doesn't describe American culture, I don't know what you're looking at. Is that fair? Yeah. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. We create partiality in our justice system as humans to satisfy our unjust and ungodly and sinful desires. I'm going to judge other people's sins so you don't look at mine. I'm going to put the blame on other people and not look at what's in my own heart because of the partiality I show. This is condemned over and over and over again in Scripture. It's the classic verse, uh, take the log out of your own eye before removing your neighbor's splinter. And, uh, verse. That too is partiality. And one of the interesting things um, that is mentioned a couple times of, of Jesus, and this is, uh, let's see, uh, Matthew 22. I was trying to remember where I saw it, and I had it in my notes. Um, let me pull it up. Matthew 22, verse 16. I think this is a good chance while you're, while you're finding the verse. Yeah. Um, to talk about how Christians, how we can discuss this with individuals while you're finding this verse. Okay. Because the, the remove the log out of your own eye before you're uh, trying to remove the one from your, the splinter from, or don't try to remove your neighbor's log, essentially. Um, there is a movement of Christians that is determined that it is not okay, or it is it is not a part of their doctrine to participate in the conversation. Mm. As Christians, the Bible says that is wrong. We are called to be to judge fairly, impartially, and to follow God's law. If you are following, if you are living in, if you if you are living amongst a place that is not following God's law, and you are sitting by, you are a bystander. That is all you are. I want to make that clear. It's the same deal as the bystander gets punished in the bully situation. Yeah. Um, so I have that verse, and it's a really interesting verse. This is a really interesting piece. Um, and I'm going to read the, the context around it, and then we'll talk about it. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, Matthew 22, and I'm going to start in verse 15. Then the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. They sent some of their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. 
Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? All right, so there are two qualities they um, assign to Jesus here. And in every case of their attempting to trap Jesus, uh, they did it on the basis of his good character. You won't see them doing it on the basis of his sinful character. Well, because he didn't sin. But what they did is they take his good attributes and they try to trap him in them. It happens over and over and over again. They're constantly trying to trap it. And in this case, they give two specific things that Jesus is. He is honest and he is impartial. He doesn't play favorites. What do you think of that, Daniel? Thanks for the leading question. Um, (laughs) uh, It's how we should aim to to serve the Lord. We should be honest and impartial. If we we're we're chasing after the the image of the Lord, uh, and he it rests and the spirit of the Lord sits on all of our hearts. And that's going to be mentioned in the next verse. I, I never ask you leading questions, Daniel. Come on. <laughs> this is this entire section is led, um, but it's we we are led to follow the impartial, honest image of the Lord. Right. So this next to finish that chapter, this is you probably know this. You might have seen this one before, but look at this from a judgment perspective. But Jesus knew their evil motives. Now, Daniel, how do we, without partiality, know others' evil motives? We don't. We don't. <laughs> it's as simple as that. I know that's wait, like... wait, wait, wait. We don't? No. <laughs> we don't. I disagree. I disagree. And here's why. Okay, I might be. Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang with me here, because I think I think this is a key to all of this. Okay, people's motives display themselves. Right, a bad tree produces bad fruit. Right, people's motives display themselves. Now, what do we what do we mean by that? Um, bad tree produces bad fruit. Well, a tree produces fruit, right? Um, it may not be fruit you want to eat, but it's producing fruit. Um, we, uh, we had, uh, when I was pastoring in Burlington, we had a, 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 a duplex that we rented out, um, bought for investment purposes. And it had a peach tree in the yard. Now we live in Washington State. Washington State is known not is known for a fruit. It's not peaches. And I figured out why it's not known for peaches. Now, to be fair, I love peaches. It is probably my favorite fruit. Um, as Daniel can attest, uh, if I got sent to the store with ice cream, the odds that I was coming back with peach ice cream was pretty high when he was young. Yeah. Um, you know, nobody else in the family liked it like I liked it, but I got it anyway because I like peaches. Uh, until my wife threatened me with physical harm, and then I—that's a joke. She <laughs> uh, 
He's never done that. Um, I'm in trouble now. Um, you know, it, it was nobody else eats the peach ice cream except for you. Stop buying the peach ice cream. I love peaches. So I was looking forward to this peach tree in the yard at our duplex. And I actually told our renters, um, do whatever you need in the yard. I get the peaches. <laughs> you can have some of them, but I get them first because I love peaches. And you know how many peaches I got off that peach tree? They grew uh, giant fat peach trees. Do you ever remember peaches from our peach tree at the duplex um, table when you were a kid? Do you know why we didn't? Because it didn't produce peaches. No, they grow mold. We have so much rain here that stupid fruit grows mold on the peaches. And you can spray for it and you're not going to get rid of it. Because we grow mold on the things. They get moldy peaches. Our hearts are moldy peaches. That's what they are. What a great analogy. Right? Like... <laughs> The, the simple the simple fact is, like, and I did, I checked into it. It's why they don't grow them in Washington. It's why you don't see a bunch of peach trees in Washington State. We get plenty of rain. You get nice, big, fat, juicy peaches, but they get mold on the outside because of all the stupid rain and the moss and all the other crap we have out here. It doesn't matter how much you spray for it. Your peaches are still going to get moldy. It's just how it works. And moldy peaches, they don't work. You can't make peach cobbler with moldy peaches. This analogy is our way of saying sinful people sin. Yes, and what's more is you 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 can see that. I this was this was um, growing up. Um, I would occasionally listen to sermons by I had friends that were were listening to sermons, and this this uh, one guy I'm, I'm going to leave his name off intentionally. He's he is passed on, um, and uh, he had he had a sermon called "If I Perish, I Perish." And if it's, I perish for my stance on this, I perish. If I perish for my stance on this, I perish. And most of it were little legalisms that he threw up as a preacher. He was overweight. He was overweight. What's one of the seven deadly sins that might have to do with somebody being overweight, Daniel? Uh, Gluttony? Gluttony. Um... We all have, we're all moldy peaches, all of us. And our actions speak of the motivations of our heart. Jesus sees that here, um, whether it's a case of divine um, uh, knowledge being given to him, is it the question? Our hearts display our motives. Um, this last week prior to the verdict of the trial, uh, Facebook actually limited the spread of an article. The founder, one of the three founders of uh, BLM, the organization, um, bought a $3.2 million house in California. Um, it's her fourth one in the last two years that she's bought. This one in an almost all-white neighborhood. BLM is raking in by the hundreds of millions of dollars corporate donations from companies that want to be woke and progressive and on the side of right. And I put that in quotation marks, not because of uh, the need for us to 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 
rightly be impartial and not have any favoritism in our justice system that we have had in the past, but because that organization doesn't reflect it at all in a healthy fashion. And they're just turning around, turn around money and buying houses. What is like four of them? Seriously, you need four houses, the $3.2 million for one. You need that. I don't think so. The heart reveals the motives, the actions are shown in the fruit that is produced without exception. That's true for all of us. We're all moldy peaches. You weren't, you weren't prepared for moldy peach story, were you, Daniel? I was, I, I, it's a story I legitimately never heard. It's now, now wait, wait, cause you need to, you need to tell our audience how rare it is that I have a story that you haven't heard. It's never, it's almost never. I mean, like every story she's told so far on this podcast, I have heard at some point or another in our in our life, <laughs> in my in my life, every like without fail, this is a I moment. Am a, I am a repeater of stories. This is this is this is getting a, it's getting a mention. I heard a story. Daniel heard a story that he never heard before. It's getting a <laughs> getting a tag. Oh my goodness! Yeah, this yeah. is. I, I love the analogy. I love it so much. Um, and the, the the basic idea is sinful people sin. Yeah, it's so easy of an analogy. And the and the the best part is it's it's perfect for what we started the discussion with. We just we started today's discussion with the Chauvin trial and the verdict and the charge of all three counts and. A jury of his peers decided that he was guilty. And I will say, um, one of the things we left off on background, it's not just uh, Daniel's wife's family that are where uh, there's an officer. There's one in our family, uh, former officer in our family. Um, I have a bunch of friends that are law enforcement. Every one of them that I talked to looked at that initial video and said, that's not how that's supposed to be done. Every single one of them. It is. I know some people don't agree with the evidence presented, and it is. And the response publicly has been gross because it's a demonization of our justice system. Yes. You don't get to impartially talk about a case that is needs to be heard fairly, to respect the. <laughs> To respect, respect the, the will, judicial process. Respect the judicial process. But if if he goes through appeal and nothing changes, he's a guilty man. He was a if he if, genuinely. It is as not your now, job. As, as of, of now, now he's, he's a guilty stands, man. He stands as a guilty man. And I'm not going to refute that. He stands yeah. a guilty man. And if if he comes before the Lord and the Lord looks at that, uh, 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 the Lord has looked at that already, um, and the Lord. Uh, before he walks through the pearly gates, he says, you made a mistake there, Chauvin. You made a mistake. It's not our job. Yeah. Other, uh, other than the, the, ju- uh, the judgment the Lord did call us to, it is not right. your job to tell him to rot in hell. It's yeah. not your job. That hashtag trended the entire day after the trial. I want to yeah. make that super clear. That is not your job. It's not my job. It's not my dad's job. It is not 
my wife's job. It's not her, her family member's job. It is not the teacher's job. It is not the job of the teacher to tell the students. It is not the students to tell the teachers. It is not, not the juror's your, job. It's not the juror's job. It is yeah. not your job, period. Our judgment as people extends only to that which the law, as it centers in biblical truth, allows. Um, and I say that cautiously because I do think that when the law, the legal system that we call the law conflicts with God's law, that's different. Um, but, um, for instance, God ordains a death penalty. Now, Chauvin won't get that. I don't think Minnesota has it, if I remember right. And he wasn't convicted of first-degree murder, which would have required premeditation. I don't think there's any evidence presented at any point in time that would constitute premeditation. Um, but that, too, is the highest extent of judgment we have. We can only judge rightly that which God gives us to judge within our legal systems, within our governments. Yeah. Uh, there's one thing I want to address real quick too, Daniel. Absolutely. Um, and that it is a common misphrasing of a passage of scripture. This may be, a, 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 I, don't, I don't know if it's a good rap point, but it's probably a good piece to this. And it's, it's, it's a off mistranslated and misquoted passage where it says, Judge not that you be not judged. How many times have you heard that in your young life? I don't think I've heard it all that often. I've anyway. heard it a ton, an absolute ton. I have. Um, it's what people usually shoot at when they say, you're judging me for my sin, when you point out their sin. Don't judge, right? Uh, what that passage could be better translated as is... Um, judge knowing you're going to be judged. Um, judge knowing, use the same standard you want used on you as you use on others. Yeah. What does that sound like to you? Use the same standard on you you'd want it's used on rule. you. It is, but more specifically, it's impartiality. Uh, right. As we wrap up, the thing you said before, um, I want and we want to commend the pros, uh, prosecution for yes. not bringing up race as a part of the trial. Absolutely, yeah, that was well done. That was that was not the point of this case. At, at no point that was you're right. I, I want to we forgot to mention that. I think that's an, an excellent thing. It, it never at any point did the prosecution mention race at all, in any way. That was great. Great job. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of their key witnesses, as a matter of fact, actually had prior sued the um, uh, police department there um, for racism. And they didn't ask him about that. It was not brought up even in his testimony, and he'd actually had a conflict with the department about it. So, yeah, it was it was excellent, uh, excellent, excellent job on that part because what it showed was, and I, I think this is fair to say, the prosecution was impartial. Absolutely. Right. I think if you look at it, you don't see them showing partiality. They sought justice based on the evidence that they presented. Now, um, 
you know, the there are some fair questions about whether or not the jury should have been sequestered and whether the the public discussions of individuals like Maxine Waters and our current president Joe Biden commenting may have influenced the jury. That's a very serious thing when the leader of the free world is saying, I want a particular outcome in a case. That's wrong. Uh, but the prosecution itself didn't show partiality. And that's a, I think that's a very, very important piece to this. Yeah. Let it be known that Eisenhower asked Warren to rule for the education department. Let it, the, the edu- board of education, let it be known. And they did, they ruled for Brown anyway. Because, Things, because it fit the constitutional principle. Right. It, it absolutely fit. The yeah. And that's why I brought up Warren earlier is because like he, I, I on the courts exemplified not le- like not legislating from the bench, but following the law for what the law is meant to be. You know, it's, it's, and yeah, we have these abortion cases and the people trying to legislate from the bench for like Roe v. Wade or school choice or all these different things. But the point of it is, if you are wrong, the point of the courts is if you are wrong to get remedy. You don't get to go to the courts for any other reason than to get remedy for anything. If you don't have remedy, it, then you don't get it. You can't take a case to the court. If there's no possible remedy for your situation, there, there's not a case. So I want to, this may be a great, this might be the, a good passage to close on because I right. think it points us in the right direction here. Okay. And for this, I'm going to go to Galatians chapter three. Um, and when the law, the word law is used in this passage, it specifically is talking about, um, the Mosaic law, the law that was given to Moses, uh, that was meant to govern the nation of Israel. Uh, the principle applies to our law as well, although specifically the law that's talking about is the Mosaic law. So, um, Galatians chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 24. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, also translated in other passages, schoolmaster, or in other versions, schoolmaster. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. I'm going to come back to what that verse means in just a second. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham, you are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What does that passage mean? This passage essentially says that the law is a step to real justice. Real justice only comes through Christ. It only comes through the saving grace and sacrifice of Christ. 
all other law, any human law, any law, even that which God gives to humans, all it can do is show us where we are wrong. Here's the standard, and you don't meet it. Every single one of us has broken a law somewhere in the legal code. All right, let me ask it this way, because if you just went, no, I've broken, I've not broken a law. Have you ever accidentally ran a stop sign? You broke the law. Have you ever accidentally ran a red light? You broke the law. I've ever sped. We're not going to go there. We're going to avoid that one entirely. <laughs> Daniel, don't, don't go there. That is, that is one I do. Uh, and it is a good point to this, right? Um, I was waiting for you to mention that specifically to say, <laughs> I talked about these other things. You had to bring mine up. Come on. This is the point, right? The law shows us what? just shows us our error it just teaches us where we're wrong it is limited the answer to the perception of racial injustice because race is a construct i don't mean that there hasn't been injustice on the basis of skin color there has been um that perception of racial injustice is present because we're sinners and anybody that looks at America's history in this regard and thinks it was done right is crazy. We all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the answer is to change the human heart through Jesus. It's not through racial reconciliation. It's not through more law because all the law can do is judge on the basis of how it's written. The answer is change hearts, and the change hearts only come through Christ. And then all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes, and there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You're all one in Christ. That is the impartiality of the unity in Christ that believers should have. We've been given that opportunity to lead that to the world around us, and man, does it desperately need it right now. That, that's partially why I called out Christians. Are. Yeah. It's because if we're not doing the work of the Lord, we're failing. We're, yeah. failing, we're failing the uh, hearts of unbelievers because we could be interested. We could be showing them the Lord. Yes. You got anything else, Daniel? No. Uh, uh, I want to mention before uh, we pray um, our song selection, I want to make sure we get these in before we pray for the sake of knowing there's a song that we've selected for you to listen to tonight. Um, I'm going to recommend the song God of Justice by Tim Hughes. Tonight. Um, I think it's a great song to just Think about the rest of it. Dad, would you pray us out? Uh, let sure. me do social media quick. Uh, we're at, found on Twitter and Facebook at, at TDP More Under. Um, give us a follow. Give us a like. And we'll, we'll go ahead and pray us out, Dad. Sure. 
Father, we thank you that real justice is found in you. Um, and the responsibility you give us to judge in our world around us um, only shows our own weakness and failure in every case. We still need to do it and help us to do it without partiality, uh, without um, trying to drive our own interest and to justify our own sin. Uh, Father, help us to lay that before you, uh, for the sacrifice of Jesus covers that too, whatever it is. Uh, may we be people who come before you with humble hearts and that um, pursue you over all else. Uh, may we willingly let go of our moldy peaches. Uh, we pray for justice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, we thank you guys for listening, and we hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, week, year. Uh, and always remember, there's more under the surface. Thank you.